and our final sermon. Thank you, Joe. Our final talk in Galatians. Here's the trailer. Galatians chapter 5. If you want to find it on your phone uh, and follow with me, I'm going to read chapter 5, verse 1, and then verse 13, and then 16 to the end of the chapter. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Verse 16, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Final session in this letter to Galatians. Quite a lot to get through. Uh, and we want to have space and time, capacity, energy to worship. So I'm just going to crack straight in. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Verse 1, chapter 5. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's uh, one of a myriad of examples. That verse there, we find it all over Scripture. But particularly in the New Testament, a command and a promise. 
And the invitation is to, to take the challenge of the command and be reassured at the same time by the promise. Jesus all the time, come to me all who are weary, that's a command, and I will give you rest. That's the reassurance as you follow the command. Go to all the world, make disciples of all nations, and surely I, that's the command, surely I will be with you. There's the promise to the end of the age. And here, Paul, live by the Spirit, that's the command. Live by the Spirit. There's no other way to live. But here's the reassurance. Receive this as well. You will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What I want to try and encourage uh, you to do today is to, to take that command, live by the Spirit, keep in step by the Spirit, stay free in the freedom that comes through the Spirit. That's the command. So that, and to, just to also to imbibe the sort of reassurance so that we don't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And I, I want to hopefully unpack a little bit how we might actually do that. How, how can I press into that assurance and follow that command? And uh, I'll, I'll use the example of fruit um, to, to illustrate how we might do that and what it might look like, what we might expect. So that's kind of where we're going in the next few minutes. I find the Bible is so intensely practical in terms of helping us to live well. When we, when we do uh, the Alpha course, the sort of introduction to Christian faith, and there's a whole session on the Bible, and, and often I find guests are sort of, yeah, they're okay with sort of Jesus, they're expecting that kind of prayer, well, lots of people pray, but the Bible, you, really? Have we not, as, as the church, not kind of slightly sort of jettisoned that, a little bit embarrassing, sort of oldie-worldy or, or downright, downright abusive in some ways uh, in, in this day and age? But I, I, I just find it, the Bible speaks so practically into areas of, of living that, frankly, conversations in the pubs and cafes and, and over the sort of water cooler, we don't have anywhere else. Just take, for example, this idea that there is, there is a conflict going on within us, a kind of inner conflict where we kind of, we have aspirations or knowledge as to what we should do. We know how we kind of want to live, but somehow we don't get there. And it, it feels like an inner kind of conflict. It, it kind of robs us of a, an inner peace, we might say. The Bible's very real about it. It's just, look, uh, so let's say, live by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. If you are a new creation in Christ, you're going to feel that conflict. Just, it acknowledges it. Why? Well, because we have desire. Talking about the spirit desiring what is opposite, contrary to the sinful nature and vice versa. We have a body with, wonderfully, with these five senses of taste and touch and smell and sight and hearing. We're constantly alive and alert to what's going on around us. And we live in uh, what the Bible calls, in the, in the sort of old translations, in the flesh. <laughs> or is in this translation here translated sinful nature. It's the Greek word sarx. It, it is the old way of being, uh, the old way of thinking, our former selves. Paul sometimes talks about your former way of life. Before you came to know Christ, you used to think like this. You used to respond with the senses of your body in all sorts of ways in, in sort of this direction. It would lead you down here. But now that you've encountered Christ and are filled with his spirit, there is a new way of living. 
So you, you don't follow the old ways which are in conflict with the new ways. But, but the Bible is very real that those, the, the, the sort of, the, the, the appetites, the desires of the flesh, of the former way, they're strong. They're, they're, they're old patterns of thinking. They're, they're, they're old sort of default modes that you used to have before you came into a full awareness of what Christ has done for you, called you into his family, into his body, into his kingdom. There are, there are new priorities, new goals, new dreams. So we don't default back to ungodly desires that, that tease us away from the truth and the goodness of God, though they're very real. And we live in the world. So our body, with its former nature, its flesh, its human nature, sinful nature, within the world. The world is just that pressure around us. It, it, maybe it's helpful to think of, of the sort of gravitational pull of the earth. That's what, that's what, that's what tethers us to the earth. But if you, if you come out of the, the influence of the earth's atmosphere, if you go up into space, it's kind of... Um, contemporary analogy given that some of the most wealthy uh, human beings on the planet at the moment have recently done that you've seen the pictures of them in their, in their sort of capsule when, when, they, when they leave the influence of the earth and they are in space their, their, um, their, their weight which tethers them on earth via the earth's gravitational pull no longer has any impact on them they're the same mass atomic mass but they're weightless they float around they're under, they're under a different set of laws, if you like. They're free from gravitational pull. That means even if they want to leave, they come back down again fairly quickly. <laughs> so the, the world, in a spiritual sense, has its, its customs, its values, its cultures, its histories that, that shape us. And as Paul says in his letter to the Romans, chapter, eight, they, they, chapter 12, they, they conform us. We are conformed by the pattern of this world, kind of misshapen as God's original intention for us. We're misshaped into a contorted pattern of ourselves. So the body, the sinful nature, the world, all conflicting with their desires that war against the desire of the Spirit to enable us to be more Christ-like. Then there's the devil, Satan. He's... He's, he's real, he's been defeated on the cross. Christ, it is finished, it's done. The, the debt is paid, the price is paid. And in that, Satan defeated, but defeated, yes, but not yet fully destroyed. He, he prowls around, Peter tells us in his letter. He's, he's like a kind of um, an injured cat. I remember once I... I um, I had the misfortune, I was driving late at night and I, I unfortunately, I, I saw a cat, you see its eyes, and the cat sort of weighed up, am I going to make it or not? And I thought cats had quite good judgment, so I, I just, I, I, must admit, I carried on driving, and either I didn't have very good judgment or it didn't have very good judgment. I don't want to sort of apportion blame either way, but anyway, unfortunately, I, I sort of, it got a glancing blow, and so I oh, felt really bad, pulled over, went back, and it was sort of kind of lying in the, in the gutter, and I went, I went to pick it up, it was alive, and I went to pick it up, and it, I was not its friend, 
<laughs> and I went, oh, and it just sort of really gouged the thing on my arm as I went to go and pick it up. So I thought, oh, um, so I, I kind of left it there, hoped it was okay. <laughs> Should have thought about the end of that illustration. As I, so really what I want to say is, you know, like an injured cat is, is you know, and that's what the enemy's like. That's what the enemy is. He's like an, he's like an injured cat. He's out to kind of strike anyone who demonstrates the goodness of God. Revelation 20. Oh dear, I've lost, haven't I? Can I, can I get the room back? I don't, know, I don't know where I can. Revelation 20, verse 10. One day the enemy will be completely destroyed. He, so he's defeated at the moment, but he's, he's, he's operating. You know that. You, you know as you seek to live by the Spirit. You, you, you can feel that, that, that conflict. You can feel something, someone opposing that. So our, our bodies, alert and alive, to living in this world with its culture, its influence, our human nature still kind of at war with the, the nature of the spirit and the enemy fanning that into flame. So that sin, sin is, is a real thing. It, it hasn't just sort of disappeared. And it's through sin that the enemy can, uh, when we fall into sin, fall short of the glory of God. It, it's then that the enemy can, can heap condemnation and, and shame on us. Look at you. Call yourself a saint. Call yourself a child of God. Call yourself a Christian. Look at you. And he uses the, 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 the impact, the presence of sin in the world and sadly in our lives to condemn us. So in light of all that conflictual desire warring around in our experience. What are we to make of Galatians 5:16? So I say, Paul says, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit and, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You will not, you won't give life to your former self. Really? How, given, given all the realities that I've just described, that the Bible draws out for us, all the realities in this conflict, how can I know victory in the conflict? How, how do I know I won't just get buried, submerged? How will I see Christ formed in me? How will we see Christ formed in us as a Christian community, his family, the body, the, the army of God? Romans 8, we had this uh, earlier on in the year and um, here are these, these amazing verses, know them, commit these to memory. Therefore, Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where the enemy is trying to use sin to, to condemn us, to bring us down, that you failure, you've done it again, look at you, human nature's winning. You can't resist the world. Who do you think you are? Live by the Spirit. So you won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You do it all the time. He whispers. He insinuates. He sneers. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How come? Because, verse 2, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, the law of sin and death still exists. 
that, that, that kind of stuff is still around. That's why there's still a conflict that you feel. It's still around. Sin and death is still around. The world, as Paul says in Romans 8, is in bondage to decay. That's the evidence of sin. Go on the internet. You, you, for the many good things that we use the internet for, look at all the sinister, terrible, horrible things. The internet, Twitter storms. So we, we've got this incredible tool. And you see how sin exists, activated by so many in our world to bring something so good in potential, to be so devastating to so many so often. But even though that exists, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, there is a law that overcomes our current existence. There is a way of being that perpetually overcomes this conflict that we feel and experience. The example I like to use here is, is, and I've sort of mentioned it or referred to it already, is the the law of gravity. So gravity pins us to the earth. But, and and it exists, it's real. That's why I'm not floating up right now. I'm I'm tethered by my, my weight to the earth. But even though gravity still exists, it can be overcome by a greater power which is the combination of thrust and aerodynamics. That's how a a Boeing 747, which weighs, when it's full, 220 tons, is able to lift off the earth and stay in the air. Because the engines provide the thrust and the shape of the wings provides aerodynamics that enables an incredible weight to resist the law of gravity. Gravity still exists. If you turn the engines off, the plane will fall to the, land, to the ground. But amid the reality of gravity, 220 tons of steel and metal can defy gravity through a superior law, a superior power. That's what Paul is talking about here in Romans 8. That's why he can say in Galatians 5:16, there is a, a law of the spirit of life which overcomes the law of sin and death. So, live by the Spirit. Live by that law. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Isn't it Jesus? This, this just happens to be our um, lectionary reading. We have sort of appointed readings, and I, I tend to use them for the, the early service at 8 o'clock, to which you're all welcome, by the way. Um, Jesus says, chapter 7 in Matthew, chapter 7. He says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruits you will recognize them. Recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes? Implied answer, no. Or figs from thistles? Again, no. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good, as if you didn't get the point, pretty simple, he, he He repeats it just to make sure. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. We live by the superior power of the Spirit that overcomes sin and death with life. And the life of Jesus in us inevitably produces fruit. Because 
It's the life of the Spirit. Not the life of Tim Stilwell trying his very best to be loving and joyful and peaceful and kind and thoughtful and considerate. And it's not me on a really good day because I promise you there are versions of me on a really bad day. Up and down, flaky. But not Jesus, the same yesterday, today and forever. His life in us, it's the fruit of the Spirit. His life in us. And as we look to him who has overcome and continues to overcome, we, we lift off, as it were. We're like that plane taking off. Inevitably, with the thrust of the Spirit, we are created by God to overcome sin and death as his life courses through our veins, through our thinking, re-sort re, re of informs the senses of our body creates in us a new nature, overcomes the world, tells the devil where to go and sees fruit as so much more satisfying than the works of sin. Did, did you notice actually in the little list uh, in chapter 5 verse 19, it's the acts of the sinful nature, but it's the fruit of the spirit. The acts are kind of these largely kind of in the moment, spontaneous, kind of just, oh, just, just, just going with it. 15 named here, eight of them are, are against community. They, they rob or impact community relations. Three of them, sexual relations, intimate relations amongst human beings. And it's interesting, do you notice, I'm not, I'm not going to press into this, but I, I just point out what Paul says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. I find myself from time to time having conversations with people where quite a lot of the conversation, if I'm honest, is about justifying the position I've taken on this or that or the other. And deep down, you know, sometimes I long to just be bold enough just to say, you know you don't believe that. You know that isn't right. You kind of know. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Well, it's not clear, I don't know. Hmm. Not what Paul says here. This little list, he says they're obvious. We kind of know. We're kind of justifying why we, we haven't quite lived up to our status in Christ. But, but if, we, if we know what's at play, the, the body and the sinful nature and the world and the devil, if we kind of know where we stand in relation to them, and if we know that we have the spirit that has overcome all their influence and all their power so that we can take off and defeat all that would seek to drag us down, then we can say with a renewed confidence that I will overcome and won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature as I live by the Spirit. The fruit, of, Jesus is saying, good fruit is inevitable. If you, if you have a healthy tree, say an apple tree, healthy apple tree, it just will produce apples. There's not a sort of a, a wonder whether it will or not. Maybe this year, maybe not. No, if it's healthy, that's just what trees do. If you were a branch of the tree, Jesus teaching about the vine. Okay, let's go from apples to vines. Um, and, um, um, what do vines do? Um, grapes, thank you. Uh, do, do, the, the branch, if you're a branch, which is what he calls us to be linked to the vine, we're not thinking, oh, I must grow a grape, I must grow a grape, I must grow a grape. You just will. What you need to pay attention to is that you're connected to the vine. 
Because if, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the issue. But if you're connected, so it's, it's about Jesus. Jesus, or in this context, the Spirit. Immersed in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Inspired by the Spirit. And as long as I have the Spirit of Jesus living in me, I'll grow fruit. Because it's his fruit. I think we get we think, oh, I must grow my grapes. It's all about me. It's, oh. So just stay connected to the vine. Allow the Spirit to grow in you. You will not gratify the, sinful, the desires of the sinful nature. You will bear fruit. Look at this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They don't come instantly. Fits of rage do. Um, uh, hatred, selfish, I mean, envy, they, they kind of flare up acts of the sinful nature. And in Christ, we put them to death. I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says. And I live no longer I, by which he means that all that stuff, dead, crucified, buried. I live by faith in the Son of God. And, and, and so I, I see fruit grow. Love. I was at a wedding yesterday. Um, been to a few weddings actually this, uh, either conducted them or, or attended. I'm sure many of you have too. I was struck. I, I sometimes find myself pondering. Just a little aside, but bridesmaids. Bridesmaids are always beautiful. Aren't they? Have you noticed? The toast is always, the bridesmaids, can I just say, you all look beautiful. Is there nothing else we can say about bridesmaids? I mean, they, they do look beautiful, I'm sure. But... Just kind of, I don't know, something about the caricatures of just bridesmaids are beautiful. Are they also, I mean, she may be an astrophysicist, or she's bringing up three kids on her own, or she's married to a particularly difficult husband. Anyone, I mean, we don't acknowledge that in a wedding, but <laughs> that's a bit more than just beauty. We kind of, because the weddings are all you know, about love, it's where we culturally we, we, we celebrate love, and I, I wonder whether we're colluding with. The, the sinful nature, frankly. I mean, you know, oh, this is the enemy. He's so clever because he, you know, he, he, he camouflages it all. We talk about the happy couple. Oh, the happy couple. I hope they live happily ever after. You try finding a card for a newly married couple. It's just happy, live happily ever after. It's all happy, happy, happy. Joe and I have been married for 30 years. I, I don't really want a happy marriage. You meant to look a bit more shocked than that. <laughs> The marriage I would like is one that's faithful and good and gentle and, and undergirded with joy even when there are tears or hardship, where there's goodness at the heart of it, where there's self-control so that, so that our marriage is, is kind of just known as one of peace, which we might call love, even in the tough times when there are tough times. That's kind of how I'd like my marriage to be described. If you want to call it happy as well, hey, it's not that we don't have a bit of fun every now and then, but I wonder whether we just tilted it sometimes so that we don't see what's really going on, the fruit of the Spirit. We keep it surface level, happy. Because actually the next fruit, joy, I was taught about joy early on in my ministry as a curate, and I took, it was one of the first funerals I took. Of a, as a lovely Christian couple, and he has uh, been promoted upstairs to be with his Lord and Savior, who he'd known, I think, pretty much all his life with his lovely wife of, I don't know, 50, 60 years. And this little widow 
she was in the front row, and um, there were tears streaming down her face. She was so sad that her lifelong partner was no longer with her temporarily on earth. And yet, I was kind of, I found myself almost staring at her because I was transfixed by behind the surface tears an unbelievable joy. The assurance she had of knowing where he was and where one day, fairly soon probably, she would join him. The perspective she had of, of heaven in this moment on earth and the joy through the tears. That's why James, we've looked at that earlier, haven't we? When he says in chapter 1, verse 2 of his letter, consider it joy when your football team wins or you get a bonus. or No, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know what God is growing in you. Perseverance and character. Joy, even in the tough times. Joy, probably especially in the tough times. The tests and the trials, which come to all of us. Peace. Don't worry, I'm not going to do the whole list. I'll stop at peace. We're going to worship fairly soon, actually, um, band members. This, this um, letter we often, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? it, it when, we, when we read the New Testament in English, because we have the same word in English for you singular as you plural. And in our individualistic culture, we can tend to read the you's here as just addressed to me. This is, a little, this is God's little letter to me. But most of the you's are you plural in the New Testament. Pretty much all of them. This is a letter written to a whole church. This this fruit that he's describing is for the whole church. So, so peace is not um, a kind of little personal sort of sense of well-being and calmness. The peace here is the fruit of God working in a disparate people to bring them together. We've, we've, we've encountered the, the, the hostilities that have been endemic between Jew and Gentile, Brought together, slave and free, male and female, Galatians chapter 3, they are all one in Christ. And as we recognize that there's something that goes above and beyond each of our own little silos, as we're connected together by the power of the Spirit, so that we can live and walk together in the power of the Spirit, we go, wow, there is something at work in each of us that is greater than anything I could generate. Because I would create a church of a whole load of people like me that get on with me and that laugh at my jokes. And, and that would be a lovely little holy huddle. It'd be awful. And we'd all do the same. The wonderful thing is that God breaks through our little individualism and brings all of us together and, and shaloms us, makes us whole and complete. There's something beautiful about seeing the difference in the other. I touched on that earlier on in this, in this series. That's the peace he's talking about. It's, it's, it's a foretaste of heaven. Every tribe, every tongue, every background, every color. And it's a sign as we, as we demonstrate that peace, as we live that peace, it's a sign to a divided and scattered world here on earth. I, I don't come to church. We are church. That's a lazy phrase isn't it but we don't attend a gathering in this building in order that I 
you, you singular, might feel at peace. Oh, just a little bit of calm in a stressy world. No, I, I, I participate in church with my brothers and sisters in order that I might contribute to the greater peace of God exhibited amongst us. Love, joy, peace, you, you can do the rest. Extrapolate on, on those qualities that will grow in you, are growing in you, and will continue to grow in you as you live by the Spirit and refuse to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It's not the desires, by the way. God gives us desire. That's kind of neutral. It's just what will the desire attach to? The sinful nature, the ways of the world, or will the desire that God has given us grow in, a, in, in and through worship to long for more and more of him to walk in this way not that way and to see his fruit grow in our lives Amen Amen Isn't God good? <laughs> Why don't we stand together Here's Matt and the team they're going to come and worship we're going we're gonna to worship by way of response what I'm going to do is I think we're going to have a, maybe a couple of songs I'm going to pray um, a, a very brief sort of um, what do we call it soft, soft close I think I'm not quite sure what the terminology is I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing which just releases those of you if you need to get away want to get away that's absolutely fine but uh, we're going to carry on worshipping just uh, enjoying the fact that we can sing and worship unrestrained uh, let me just pray as these guys get ready. We love, Lord, that as we've entered this building, we've, we've walked into a place that for uh, well over a century here has worshipped you. Your spirit kind of lives here, <laughs> hangs around. Jesus, you, you walk amongst us, longing for us to grow more and more into the likeness of you with your fruit in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us with fresh desire to live for you, to worship you, to think like you, to act like you in this world. Bring new release, bring healing, Lord. Wash us, cleanse us for your glory. Amen.